everybody, and welcome back to The Ready Room. I'm your host, Richard Frederick, and today I am speaking with Ken Posh. Ken is a retired Air Force colonel. He is the founder and president of Key Visions Incorporated, a leadership development company. And he is the author of several books on leadership, including On Course, Become a Great Leader and Soar. In addition, he is a faculty professor at the Smeal Business College at Pennsylvania State University. Ken has served in various leadership roles throughout his career uh, in the Air Force. He went from flying B-52 bombers to managing Air Force medical centers. Uh, Most people would probably think, wow, why would you go from that to that? Uh, And that transition uh, was definitely a significant departure. Uh, And Ken's challenges in that role, his own efforts to master what it takes to lead a large organization is where he first began to envision his concepts for developing leaders. He went on to roles with several companies, including Johnson & Johnson, before founding Key Visions and partnering with other businesses to help them get the most out of their team. As he puts it, helping good people become great leaders. We talked a lot about leadership in general, and it's really apparent that Ken feels that leadership is important beyond just the boardroom. He feels that leadership is a way out of our polarized society In fact, we talked for a while about the difference between effective and good when applied to individual leaders, given that certain leaders, air quotes, uh, throughout history have certainly been effective at motivating and organizing millions of people to purposes we now recognize as evil. Uh, He refers to these outliers as false leaders. Uh, Ken is really a genuine guy, and it's apparent in talking with him that he has turned his passion into his vocation, and not many of us can say that. I I really enjoyed our chat, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. Uh, So without further ado, I give you Ken Posh. And Ken, I can't wait to share that glass of Angel's Envy in person soon. So thanks again for coming. I appreciate it, Ken. I know we were trying to make this work out. Um, and, and so because you didn't, you know, because we don't have the angels envy, I guess that's why I decided to uh, to pull in the. Uh, I, I promise you, I will get you the angels yeah. envy some point, whether well, you're coming in to see family here or I'm coming to see you over there in your ranch, whatever. Yeah. We'll make that happen. No, I can't wait. Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, that, that I definitely will be coming over there at some time soon. So Good. even though we won't get together for the uh, for for the actual talk that we're uh, you know a podcast talk, it would be much better to sit uh, and not have an audience and drink an angel's envy and talk about everything that we've said and done and tell lies to each other, because nothing uh, we talk like this that's too, exactly yeah. right, man. I can do that with the best of them, and uh, yeah, it's uh, we'll uh, no, we'll never let the uh, truth get in the way of a good story. I, I like to do that Heck with no. my friends. <laughs> so yeah. So thank you again for being here, uh, Ken. It's it's really good. Um, so thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no, I, this is a great treat. Yeah, I, the, the, I can't wait. Uh, I already have kind of a couple questions in mind. I always take a couple notes. If you see me looking down, don't worry. I'm not. 
Uh, I'm not looking at uh, you know my stock quotes or anything like that. I'm just checking <laughs> notes. But uh, I really just we'll, we'll go wherever you want. But I, that being said, I thought you know let let's start off and talk about because leadership is your milieu, um, yeah. and both of us are military officers, retired. Uh, leadership is something that's near and dear to us, something that we've practiced and tried to hone, uh, sometimes with lesser or greater degrees of success. And, and I, you know, I read, I read your book. It's right here with me. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to get it in there by the way. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that in. And, uh, um, and, you know, a lot of it resonated with me, a lot of it. So, but I, you know, I, I thought, why don't we just start off with talking about how you, because I, I, I know your story. Uh, you talk about it. I've listened to you say it a couple more times, a couple other times with uh, with other folks. But um, how you got how you got interested in helping others become great leaders? Good people become great leaders, as you say. That's my that's my whole vision yep. in life is to do that. And if I can stay focused on that until the big guy says, "Hey, come see me," then I will be a happy man because I really love doing it because I think it's so important. And a lot of people that I run into, I think they try to put off a persona that uh, everything that they've done in life has been perfect and hunky-dory and boy, I tell you, they just, it's just been wonderful. Well, that just didn't work that way for me. Real quick, I'll let your listeners know that uh, I was very fortunate in 1972 to win the lottery. (laughs) And not that kind of lottery that most people are thinking. I'm one of the last people to be drafted into our military. Uh, It was not on my bucket list, but that was the worst day of my life because I knew we were talking a little bit about ago about the guys in Vietnam. I was on my way. I was in the Army as a ground pounder, what they called an 11 Bravo, and I was on my way carrying an M16, and I was not looking forward to that at all. I got fortunate, though. I got a, a reprieve, if you will, and they sent me back to school, and that allowed me to do something this poor kid from the projects always wanted, and that was fly. So... I did that for a while until I realized uh, you're married, you have two kids, you're never home. And as much as I love flying, I had to give that up for my education, which was um, healthcare administration. So I went and ran medical centers, still in the Air Force, but ran medical centers. And I quickly found that I was doing okay in a couple of the roles that I was supposed to fill, but this one minor role called leading, yeah, I was I sucked at it. <laughs> it just I was horrible. And we could go on for hours on how I figured that out, but uh, let's just hope your audience will accept that uh, if he's saying he, he was failing, he was failing. And it was just horrible and I had to figure it out and I tried all these books, courses and workshops and they were wonderful. I was so excited until I tried to put them into use. And unfortunately, they all told me what I should do, but none of them told me how do I make that happen? And so that's what I had to figure out during one of many sleepless nights trying to find the solution. I had this crazy thought. I said, I wonder, could there be something similar, what it takes to get an aircraft or organization off the ground and to its desired destination? Having nothing to lose, I tried it out. It's amazing how it connected. And so I built these tools to help me and to help other leaders working with me understand the kind of things that we had to approach all aviation-based, and the results were like, it wasn't overnight, but I'm telling you, within six months, the change was just unbelievable, and the results that we got, the people were on board. They were really doing what they could do to really make it happen, so you know, it was just one of those things, those aha epiphany moments that I finally said at one point, I got to share this with others 
rather than just um, hoarding it to myself and those with me. I have to share this with others, and that's why I do what I do. Yeah, well, that's a great uh, story of finding your passion. Um, you know, I and we, you know, I, I talked to a, a guest a while back, another author, a uh, guy named Joe Batista, and uh, he uh-huh. he has a book. Um, yeah, you guys know each other, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, anyway, his book was uh, um, all about that, you know, and, and not finding, but um, but making your passionate life, creating your passionate life, is what he would say. Um, but but some people are fortunate to stumble on that in that way that you did you you had gotten to a point where all of a sudden you were like hey i've got to get better at what i'm doing and then when you you got to that you start you're like hey this is something that i'm passionate about so i I love those stories i still feel kind of like i'm uh uh, i'm I'm in that process uh, myself trying to uh, create a passionate life uh, as it were so and, and for me i think i probably came back to it this is actually what's giving me passion right now talking with you talking with other guys uh, as part of this podcast but i still have a day job but uh you know i want to go back to the beginning so you you got drafted uh and you were saying hey that was that was the worst day of my life and and you were you were scared to go to vietnam and uh you know as many many kids were back then um but you come from a military family too oh yeah i mean uh i've got two medals sitting on my wall i mean my kids made me do the stuff that's on the back wall it looks good man. I, I, I see the uh, i see the b52 soaring back there yeah and the you know the other stuff yeah. I, you got to have an i love me wall you got to have yeah, an i love me do. wall right it, that's that's for the kids they did it all and i said fine yeah but, yeah you tell yourself that i'm gonna wrap myself up in that blanket too <laughs> i'm gonna wrap myself right up in that one <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> but the wall I really If you haven't like noticed, by the way, my conversations are not always uber professional. I just, I just go, it's just hey, two guys talking. That's right. You know, that's the only way to have life go that's around right. and make it work, you know. But the wall I stare at all day has the medals on it that I'm most proud of. And that's from my grandfather and my dad, because my dad was in your branch during World War II in the Pacific. Now, he wasn't on the ground, fortunately for him, but unfortunately, he was a gunner on the USS Hancock, the aircraft carrier, and so he saw an awful lot of action. You know, the kamikazes were really trying to take their ship out because they were really in the in the heat of things quite a bit. But uh, and so I've got his medal uh, right in front of me. And then my grandfather, going back to World War One, he uh, – was a member of what we now affectionately know really wasn't this just a reporter gave it this name but the lost battalion you know and what a story that was holy moly and what he went through and yeah following those two men uh, i can't even hold their bootstraps let alone measure up in any way shape or form yeah no i like to say jock straps because you know we i think we talked about this by email right you told me that i was like okay so wait you're your pop was a uh, Marine in the Pacific, and your uh, granddad was with the Lost Battalion uh-huh. in France. And, uh, you know, my dad was a, uh, a platoon commander, infantry platoon commander in Quang Tri <sighs> Province of Vietnam. Oh. And so here we are, a couple of guys that, yeah, okay, I've, I've, I've deployed. I've been to Afghanistan. <laughs> I've been to Iraq, but nothing like nothing like what they saw. And so I, no. I say the same thing. Neither of us are really uh, – are really even worthy to carry their jock straps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't even ask. I wouldn't deign to ask <laughs> either one of them. Yeah, or, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, so I feel very fortunate to have that in my history, though, to know that those two men, and along with your dad and so many others, gave us the opportunities we have today. Yeah, most certainly. So, but you know, when you 
you get drafted, and you said it wasn't even in your, uh, you know, your uh, wheelbox that you were going to be in the military. You were looking to do something else, and then you ended up going that way. I'm sure your old man uh, was was probably proud of you, though, in terms of your service. He, he and he's still around. He's 94. Yeah, he I'm said that. actually going to get to see him tomorrow, and uh, you know, so it's amazing. So I think he is. I think he appreciates what what I did and what we did because it's a. Uh, for those of us that were married at the time, it's a family affair. I mean, everybody goes through all the crap, if I can say that. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, allowed, good you're allowed to say worse than that here. One, I'm a Marine, and two, there are no rules, so please feel <laughs> free. I know you Air Force types uh, like to keep it clean and businesslike. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe there was an older maybe there was an older Air Force that I don't remember. <laughs> but I, I have to give my uh, my brothers in blue a little bit of uh, a little bit of shit now and again. Oh, I, I tell you, and you know, I think that's what makes it great when we can, you know, when, when this kind of stuff we can banter back and forth and and do what we say, you know, the jarheads and all that going on. But then when when the fight comes. We know we're there to have each other's backs, so that's a great thing about yeah, it. No, absolutely, that's that's absolutely true, um, and I, and I love that about uh, wearing the uniform, having worn the uniform, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and knowing that all of us at the end of the day are, are on the same side and willing to do. That's right. Uh, Thank God. Yeah, yeah. For for our, for ourselves, you know, and usually it's it's more about, you know, you go over and you do the mission. I, people ask me all the time, you know, if the if the bigger picture was always in your mind, and I'm like, no, nah, really, it's just the guy next to you. Yep. Uh, the guy or gal next to you, I should say, and uh, they, you know, and just d- doing what you can to uh, help out, and and then uh, yep. th- the bigger picture, I I can talk about that or think about that when I go home in a philosophical mode, but you can't be philosophical when uh, when the action starts. Yeah, the philosophy in a foxhole is yeah, yeah. holy crap. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yep, yep, I get it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in terms of leadership, one of the things that I uh, that that first stood out to me in your book that I was reading was the idea of the different kinds of leaders. So (laughs) having, having uh, been a leader myself and thought about leadership, uh, one of the things that stood out and and then I started kind of thinking about, I even asked my wife, uh, I was like, Hey, what do you think of this? Was your idea of, of true leadership, uh, wannabe leadership and false leadership. It's amazing when you look back and you look at the people and what was their, I don't know, motive, for getting into the position of authority in the first place. If it's self-aggrandizement, well, it, and that can go a couple of different directions because that could that could relate to both the wannabe and the false leaders because the self, you know, if I'm in it for me, then I, I just think that's a poor way to do things because I try to help people understand. I was just talking to, to a young man the other day because I asked him to start taking a look at how he views the world because I really think there's, there's three primary uh, simple focus points on the world. I win, you win, or we win. Well, from my perspective, the first two just don't work. If, I, if I'm in it to win, then I'm screwing you. If you're in it to win and I say, okay, that's okay, that's screwing me. Well, that doesn't help anybody, really, in the long term. I mean, we, in the short term, there might be some gains and loss and that kind of thing. But in the long term, everybody loses, I think, in that process. So I th- think the only true measure is we win, where we're in it together. And when leaders take on that mantle and they understand that it's got to be about the crew or most organizations call it team. But I, 
I'm Air Force, you know, and I flew a crew-based airplane. Everybody on that airplane had a very specific job. And no matter what your job was, you were vital to the organization. And if leaders can understand, that's why you hire people. That's why you bring them on board is to get the most out of them and give them the most you possibly can for what they do. Those are really the baseline of true leaders. So the other two we could talk about all day long, and some of them are worse. Obviously, the false leaders are are absolutely worse, and we've had plenty through history, and some that aren't listed as historical figures, but I've run into it myself, and I'm guessing you have too. But yeah, we've got to figure out as leaders, if we're in it for ourselves only, I think that's a problem. If we're in it for what the everybody gets out of it, I think that's just a better way to live. I think everybody wins that way. Us too. So. Yeah. Well, that, uh, so this is uh, the, the idea of uh, what you call the abundance mentality. Yep. Um, in your book, the abundance mentality is that um, th- there's there's glory to go around, uh, mm-hmm. provided we're willing to work uh, together uh, using our talents to mm-hmm. a specific goal, and that it doesn't have to be, hey, I get the glory and you don't, uh, or I, you know, I didn't get the glory and you did, so I feel badly. But instead, you know, the the abundance mentality or the what can I contribute to this? Uh, w, WCIC, the station that you mentioned. That's right. Uh, yeah. So yeah. two radio stations. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay to have that other radio station in your mix, WIFM. That what's in it for me? That's all right because you should look at it that way. I mean, it it takes a pretty strong person to just look and give and give and give and everybody else get. Yeah. You know, not, so not, you know. Sorry, um, that is one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading. So it does have to be there, right? That other, yes, that other, yes, yes. The the uh, I don't want to call it selfishness, although I have. Um, there's a famous uh, book called The Selfish Gene uh, by a couple of, uh, and I can't I can't recall who they were, but they wrote it together. But it, it's it's basically about how we've evolved to have some measure of self, um, uh, not importance, but. And not preservation either, but the idea that you have to you have to take care of yourself in order for the rest of it to sort of work. And so you're right. Um, as a matter of fact, I would almost say that someone who is completely selfless um, would would probably have a very very hard time in life, and possibly even not be quite as good a team member. So, oh, the, you know, what came to mind right away as you were talking through that, and it, and it happens. If- uh, every once in a while when we get into these discussions. But I think back to the old Winnie the Pooh characters and Eeyore. Mm-hmm. Remember Eeyore? Yeah. Aww. Yep. You know, every, just, everything was a downer. Yeah. Yeah, everything, you know? And I think that happens to a lot of people that are this, uh, I'm not taking my own self-interest into heart, you know, because nobody else does. And, you know, it's just get over it, you know? Yeah. You're not contributing. That's the key. Yeah, and so there is a... Uh, this was my this was one of the thoughts I had. So whenever I think about leadership and and uh, organizations, how they function, and my time in the Marine Corps, so me and um, my colleague who uh, started this podcast with me, we've had many discussions about that. Mm-hmm. He's a great Marine, a great American. Uh, my my brother is uh, in the Corps as well, and he is absolutely suited to this business. Um, and, and I started to kind of notice uh, somewhere later in my career that I, I probably was never really suited for the Marine Corps in terms of my personality. And I don't, you know, it, it's been a, uh, it's uh, that self-realization, you know, at first created a little bit of uh, anxiety, maybe even anger. Uh, and now it's just sort of, oh, yeah, this is who I am. So whenever I start to, to talk about organizations and 
and how we work together to do something. And it, it very much is, in my, at least from what I've seen, and you, you might have more to offer on this, is that for the most part, most people are sort of, hey, we have to work together. That's how we do better. We work together as a team. That's how things get done. That, that is true to an extent, but we also know, and there's pr- plenty of science behind it, that sometimes a team effort is not the best idea. There are very, very, uh, there, there are great examples of uh, geniuses throughout history that worked by themselves and, and had to work by themselves in order to do the things they did. And, and then to me, it comes back to how, how did those people you know, how do they contribute at large if they're not or if they're in an organization and they're that kind of person? So I, I you know, I took a uh, I did that Myers-Briggs type index a, a while back. I don't know if you've done that, but it was very, it was very illuminating. Right. I, I, I took it to heart. I read it and I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, this this is me. It's 15 pages of talking about things that I knew or sensed but never kind of had down. And I'm not I'm not a great team guy. Um, it's not to say that I can't be part of a team and do very well. I, I do every day. Uh, and I made it 24 years in the Marine Corps, so I'm, I must have some of that in me. But I would very much prefer to be on my own. And, mm. and so I, I wonder how when you're balance, when you, when you go out and you're doing what you do, um, you know, how do you balance that, you know, the idea that every single job application, it seems, or, or job posting says, must be a team player. You know, what do you go in and go, yeah, I'm not much of a team player. You should hire me. <laughs> you know, I really think that when we look at so many of these things, I think people have these scripts that they believe that they have to have. And they have to have everybody that are in total alignment throughout. I mean, maybe it's just they have to have the same Myers-Briggs personality or disc or, yeah, or whatever like is that. being used. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. You know, and Myers-Briggs, I love Myers-Briggs. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for a lot of people that don't get into it in detailed measures and stuff to understand the 16 different personalities. But each one of those brings something to the table. So depending upon the organization, the size and scope of the organization, what the mission is of the organization, all those different kind of things, there's probably a place in most larger organizations for somebody, at least one of each of those types. They will bring something to the table. One of the things I talk about is the need for having a devil's advocate. That was going through my mind as you were saying that. I was like, someone's got to be the devil's advocate, and that usually was me. Well, that's that's awesome. I used to have to find people that were willing to play that because so many people, when as soon as you put that rank on your shoulders or on your collar, wherever it is, yep. people just thought, yes, sir, yes, sir. I, I said, bull crap. I said, if you think we're in the, going in the wrong direction, I need you to speak up. I'm one guy with one opinion, with one set of, uh, you know, the education, the values, the fact set, and everything else. I'm not God. And so because I'm not, I need you to tell me where you think we're going right, we're going wrong. You talked about a book just a little bit ago. One of my favorite books is from a guy that I really think is great. He's got a great team that he knows out in California, and that's Patrick Lencioni. And he wrote this book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And one of the things that Patrick put in there, one of the chief dysfunctions of teams are too little conflict. And I think that's what happens when when people say team player, we're all going. No, that's not what team players are. Team players are bringing 
their qualities to the table. They're bringing their characteristics, their ideas, their opinions, and we put them all together. We hash it all out, and we figure the best way to go from all that, not just one person at the top saying, we're going this way. That's a mistake. So I love what you said, and I love that you went there because a lot of people have this belief that we've got to just make sure everybody is buying into what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, so it goes – you just said it. You put on the rank, and everybody's like, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, let's face it. You're not – once you've got rank, and whether it's in the civilian world or the military world, and you have some sort of control, especially in the military, where mm-hmm. you have a direct control over how that, that individual's future progresses mm-hmm. uh, via, via fitness reports or, or progress reports or personnel, you know, annual personnel reviews, how, however they say it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whatever whatever they title they give it, then you are not probably going to get the uh, the real person when they're dealing with you. You won't get that real person because everything they say, unconsciously or consciously, will be filtered through the lens of this person has my future in their pen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right, and I think that's one of those things that we have to try to overcome, and when we look at true leaders, going back to that one that we talked about a little bit ago, one of the things that true leaders imbue more than anything else is trust in them. I mean, they're not – they don't expect other – say, hey, you must trust me or uh, I must gain your trust. No, it's you – I need to earn your trust that you understand where we're going, that when you do this and you do that, this is the way that when you're working with me, that I'm going to find you most valuable. And I'll believe you're more valuable in, in those circumstances when I wore that rank to the Air Force and the country in general, when you're helping us as best you can from your experiences and your opinions and your ideas, because you wouldn't be here if you didn't have some brains and some intelligence, some ideas. I'm here the reason I was put in charge, so to speak, was to bring all that out of you. And if I just say, I want you to listen to what I say and shut up and sit down and color, that's not going to do that. And so it really depends upon, and I, would, I wouldn't I would automatically recommend people go into their boss after watching this podcast and say, you know what, you need to listen to me because these two guys I heard, <laughs> it's you've got to make sure that you can trust your boss. To, that That's exactly the way they are thinking. So, yeah, if that helps. No, that, that, so my problem then was that one, I was that wow. devil's advocate all the time. And, uh, <laughs> I probably wasn't, um, I probably didn't go about it uh, in in the, the best way all the time. Uh, I was tactfully. always the guy. I was always yeah, tactfully. That's it. Uh, I was always the guy telling telling my bosses, you know, hey, this is messed up. You're doing this wrong, or you haven't considered this. And of course, that doesn't fly well. It's just per- even if they're even if they're really uh, even if they're uh, very self aware and uh, thoughtful, it, it's still human nature to kind of take that as pushback. It is and, and take it that is. personally. Even in the, even with the best people, I mean that's it's mm-hmm. just how it is. I would be the same, right? I, I'm I'm sure that I probably took feedback um, uh, from those who I had responsibility for, um, probably n- not as well as I should have before. I, I'm I'm positive uh, that I was guilty of that too. But the bottom line is, it's definitely that whole hierarchy. Um, if if you're the kind of guy that doesn't that doesn't work well in a structured environment or works better without structure, then it becomes very challenging to kind of fit in in that in that way, mm-hmm. and it certainly becomes hard for a leader to to incorporate them or to figure out how to incorporate them. 
Um, and I don't know, you probably see this uh, all the time uh, when, you're, when you're going out there as part of your organization that um, – that uh, that would be hard to do. I don't know. Maybe you even address this. Do you, you know, when you do, you talk to leaders, or you and you say, "Hey, listen, whoever the the guy out there or the gal that's like maybe on the fringes, maybe a little bit stubborn sometimes, they they could be one of your best players." Absolutely. One of the things that I do is I measure the leader first, and I don't do it from the standpoint that I'm you know writing my notes down and they, they think they're being graded, but I I listen to how they respond and and the process that I use when I'm going into organizations on a on a more than just some people will just call us in for a very specific issue that they want to deal with. Okay, that's fine. I more appreciate the opportunities to work with organizations on a much longer term basis because then I can measure what's going on and figure out. And one of the things I will do is I will measure the leader from the perspective of how are they responding? Are they willing to put themselves on something less than the highest pedestal possible? And I measure that based upon their comments as we're dealing with situations with the rest of their leaders in the room. And many of them have a very hard time adding to the conversation when we're talking about things that could be improved and putting themselves in the position that, yes, I should do this better and I should do this better. Those that do help me understand they are more willing and open, most likely, to be available for these kind of comments that they're looking at it from a team perspective. And like you talked about it, you got to be very careful about how you do that. Going in and punching the boss in the face is not a good way to do that. But there are ways to do that. One, that's one of the things that we find when I work with people, I try to help them understand the ways that you can put your comments in without punching the boss in the face because you don't want to do that. Like you said, it's, that's just a, a career killer. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. So that was probably me. I, I had to learn that a little bit over my career that, you know, hey, you can't just be blunt about it. Um, uh, you, ha- you had to have some sort of uh, diplomacy. And you couldn't die on every hill. Uh, that's one of those. That's things. right. You can't die on yeah. every hill. At some point you have to go, okay, he doesn't you don't want to do it that way, then just, just walk out and, and go. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you fall on that sword once and that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I fell yeah. on it several times. My, my, I'm, uh, I'm living proof that uh, you can – dogged <laughs> determination and a little bit of natural talent can get you through 24 years in, in, a, uh, in a conformist organization without <laughs> – you know, as a total rebel. I'm, I'm proof of that. But, you know, so going back to the false leader thing, uh, early on you had some quotes and they were great and it, it sparked a huge conversation really – um, that, uh, and, and the quotes for, from, uh, were from three different leaders, uh, right around world war two. And, and mm-hmm. one of them, the third one, I think was the false leader, as you called him. Uh, and if you read that quote, you would absolutely, uh, most, most people would agree with what, what he said. Fall in uh, line, go that way. And it was, uh, it, it was the, the quote that said, Hey, um, when choosing someone to lead, then character, integrity, character, um, and vision are more important than than uh, academic or intellectual knowledge. And that given a choice between, they're not incompatible, but given a choice between those two, you would rather have a leader of character, mm-hmm. integrity, and vision than mm-hmm. someone who had a bunch of book knowledge about a subject Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true. We we know from experience, a- academics are not always the best leaders. They have a great con- conceptual um, view of things, but but then putting it pragmatically into, into practice is hard to do. It is so. Uh, 
I, you know, you read that and you're like, yes, this, this is exactly right. This is exactly this guy is on, is on, uh, is on the right track. And the quote was attributed to Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. And so was he correct in that? And then that got me talking uh, about uh, what is a great leader? Does a great leader have to – and what is a false leader compared to a great leader or in terms of – I guess what I'm asking is does a leader have to have – share a moral worldview that we would consider uh, correct – and I, I mean that in a rel- relativistic term uh, – mm-hmm. correct in, uh, in order to be a good leader? In this case, the question was, was Adolf Hitler a good leader? And I don't mean good in the moral term. I mean effective. Was he an effective leader? <laughs> he was totally effective. Yeah, that was, the, that was what I came to. The guy was an effective leader, mm-hmm. and yet we universally recognize that as, as evil, what, mm-hmm. what the, the Nazis were doing. Uh, and so does a, does a good leader have to have a moral – uh, foundation that we agree with? I think if if the whole purpose is to achieve effectiveness, I I would say, and this this will get me in trouble. It'll be, be on YouTube tomorrow. Ash says uh, Hitler was was a great leader, and yep. and we should follow leaders like that. No, no, that's not my claim. My claim is we're looking at the perspective of the the metric effective. Yeah, and and the answer to that is no. I mean, it's just that simple, as he proved. Yeah, and he's not the only one that proved that. No, you, but he you mentioned several. Uh, you, you mentioned Mao um, in China, uh, Pol Pot, mm-hmm. uh, Stalin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, world world leaders that caused great great suffering, great harm. Uh, that absolutely were able to get millions and millions of people to act together uh, towards one goal in a way that they were quite uh, enthusiastic about. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I sat here thinking, well, yeah. You, you don't. You don't even have to have the real moral underpinnings to be mm-hmm. a great leader, effective leader. Well, let's keep calling it that, mm-hmm. an effective leader. And so, where does that lead? You know, so like you know, in Hitler's case, we 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 all recognize now that that was um, one of the worst periods in, in history. Um, and, and we want to we strive to not have that again, right? A mm-hmm. a, uh, a totalitarian regime. Uh, in which you know certain um, uh, people that don't fit uh, with the majority are singled out and not only uh, uh, persecuted but then tortured and killed. Um, th- that is gone. Germany, of course, the country is is a liberal Western democracy that works very mm-hmm. well and they're doing very well and they've put that behind them. They realize that that's not something that they want to be. Uh, and, then nope. and then there's something like and then there's some, someone like Mao whose legacy continues to live on. It does, and there's a country uh, in, some, of in some respects. Yeah, of course. Now, China's yeah. gone uh, has certainly seen many reforms over the years, but uh, the the legacy that he began is still there. China is mm-hmm. a communist country with a single party rule, uh, and the people are, for the most part, there um, very behind what their leaders are doing, and still believe in that. And so, they're obviously that. You know, culturally to us, it's hard. You know, when I think about that, I I don't want to live in China. That's not the way I see the world. I I see the world in terms of individual rights and liberty and uh, Mm -hmm. the idea that uh, all human, either good or evil, comes from the individual ultimately. 
Yes, mm -hmm. groups of people can act badly or they can act in a way that is great together. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but at the end of the day, it still is the individual acting within that group that does the good that's or right. bad. I, I think that that is a, a Western liberal thought, and that's where I fall. But I, I struggle to say, okay, I, I don't think the Chinese you know, are, are evil at this point, even though there was a legacy of, of, oh. great, of great suffering there. I, I don't was. know. What do, you, what do you think of all that? I, I'm not skilled. I'm not a skilled enough scholar to understand what the inner workings of China. Yeah, right well, now. Well, me either. Really, I, a very, yeah, very. Just, uh, I mean, the surface. people that we met in China were just phenomenal. I mean, it was just we loved them. Yeah. It was great. So I, I don't know that I'm qualified to really speak at that governmental level, but I think you're absolutely right. And if we can maybe yeah, separate maybe the government from from how leadership and legacy, then I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if we go back to it from that perspective, I always believe two things that I'd like to address. One, actions, not words. I mean, it, it, we just, you know, Hitler did not follow his own words. And if people really understood him, really knew him, but they just, I don't know, we have this need, this desire to follow somebody that we believe is speaking our language and we're so desirous of putting ourselves in that position say, I'm on board. And without checking up to make sure that, yeah, that's exactly, that's really where they're going or not. Okay. That's a whole other issue. And the other thing is, is that. That's a good one though. Let's go back to that. <laughs> okay. And the other piece is this idea of charisma. Because that's what so many of these false leaders have is that ability to engender people to come to their way of thinking and then the acts sometimes follow. But charisma, I don't think it's a very good indicator of great leaders. I've worked with some incredible leaders. I could name, I could name one on your show right now. I think it's okay because it's totally positive. He's still a mentor of mine. I met him in the early 90s, and he was the last boss effectively that I had. On paper, it wasn't that way. But effectively, he was the last boss I had in the Air Force, and he is still a person that I connect with all the time. His name is Ray Chappelle. That man you know, you would not put him in as one of those charismatic people. He was very natural, very comfortable talking to people, but he wasn't this bombastic. I hate to use that term because not everybody who's charismatic is bombastic, but he wasn't in that vein at all. He was just a guy that knew what we needed to do and how he could help us get better and all that kind of stuff. Smart, smart, smart. But charisma was not a characteristic that you would say when you're checking them off. Check, check the top three characteristics for, for this leader. Charisma probably wouldn't be one of those. But he was one of the best leaders I ever worked with and for. And so I think we fall into this. This Look at, look at our attachment to entertainment and the celebrities and how we believe that they are just the do-all and be-all. All they do is be somebody else every hour that we watch them on TV or the silver screen or whatever. I don't believe charisma is one of those things that we should, those big characteristics that we should use to determine whether a person is in a position of authority because they're really good at what they do and they're really trying to help everybody get where we could go. That's just my take, my personal opinion. So those are my two to in answer to some of those things that you were talking about. Yeah, no. Yeah. So those are all great points. Charisma is an interesting thing. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think that we're going to get away from from 
No. From the charismatic uh, fella or gal getting getting to uh, power. Yeah, power was you know, but progressing, you know, as it mm-hmm. is getting gaining more and more um, accolades, I guess. Is but you're right. I mean, uh, the old uh, t- tall and, and a, a good head of silver hair takes you a long way, right? Uh, because it's I just know. it's yeah, I know, right? Me neither. <laughs> I'm uh, you know at, at five foot eight and uh, <clears throat> on a good day with the wind in my hair. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of those things that. Um, as it's human nature that we look at certain people and it's genetic that that mm-hmm. we think okay and it might even be and it usually is unconsciously it mm-hmm. there's something that we go okay this person right um it, it it's the same thing that has to do with the the attractiveness to the opposite sex it's it's sure. just something that happens there are certain traits that we look at and we're just mm-hmm. and it's it's natural uh now if we're mindful we can look past that and we can see right. we can see better, and we can see, hey, okay, got it. Uh, this person presents a great image; uh, they're compelling. Uh, but if you dig below the surface, do they have what it takes? Typically, for me, that is, and this is this would again kind of go back to uh, a strike against Hitler's sort of argument about uh, just character and integrity, which I trust me, mm-hmm. character and integrity are important. Uh, uh, but mm-hmm. there has to be some knowledge. There has to be some intellect that mm-hmm. you can say, okay, this person is able to think through things using data and reason and come to a correct measure decision that would be reasonable to most people. So that's important. And then the other would be, um, and this is this one might be controversial, but compassion. There has to be general empathy and compassion for those around you. Um, a narcissist won't will never be an effective leader really in my they they might they, they might get people to do things and they might be charismatic and artsy, but at the end they won't go down as that that kind of person that we look back on a, a, you know a JFK or something where there's a you know hey there has to be the genuineness behind it well and it's funny i i hope what you just said about that one word well, no, it actually is problematic when I do it too, because I, when I go out there and I talk to people and I say, so what are you going to help us build? And I say, well, basically what I'm going to help you build, what I can do, I'm not the engineer. I can't help you design that product or that better service. That's not me. What I do is I help you build a leadership team. And that's totally different from a team of leaders. Let's, let's be clear about that. And that leadership team is going to be competent, compassionate, and collaborative. Because if you don't have that, then you're probably not getting where you want to go. And so I hope we can get people to understand that it is not a slight of a person to say that they're compassionate. No, that is a very good characteristic. But from the competence side, I think what you talked about, those characteristics that we're looking for there, if they are not clear, critical thinkers – how are they going to put all this stuff together that pre- people are bringing to them? So I think that's absolutely vital to have some of these things, others outside of the character and integrity and some of those which are absolutely critical, but real, not just spoken. Yeah. So I, I've always – one of the things I've noticed about people that I thought right away were, um, were someone to, that were – uh, formidable, and I don't mean formidable in a in an antagonistic way. I mean formidable mm-hmm. as a person, where I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, okay, this individual has something. 
the people that are able to put together very uh, long, uninterrupted, and clear visions of a of a topic or a problem where you there's no ums, no uh, no mm, it, but you they but they just this this stream of consciousness comes out that comes from knowledge and confidence and and you can tell that they're on the right that that usually stands out at least mm-hmm. to me I, I whenever i've heard it and it's been very few times actually there are very few people that are able to do that where you go okay this person is on a level above me and i trust that they are going to probably be great in a leadership position given mm-hmm. some other qualities that we've talked mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. yeah i don't know how often do you see this kind of stuff when you're out there helping teams it depends upon the organization i would say that most organizations have developed pretty decent managers have they developed pretty decent leaders and the answer to that, and that's something that we try to do, it's it's actually a niche that we've tried to find for ourselves and put ourselves in for others. I don't think they've done a good job at that because I think most of the leadership teams and most of the organizations that I've worked with, or teams of leaders in some cases, unfortunately, they're looking to outsource a lot of that development. And that's a mistake. I mean, that's a huge mistake. And so what we try to do, we bill ourselves as what we call the executive's ally because we want to be there to help you understand that vital function of developing that, that leadership team. That needs to be connected to what's going on internally to your organization, whether that's your culture or your needs or the issues you're facing, the situation and all that. And if you don't do that internally, you're outsourcing this vital function to somebody who has no connection to those things. And you've heard that they they give a great talk or they give a great this or that, but what's the ROI? And that's a question I always ask the people that we go into. So this is what you've been doing. What's the ROI on that? And typically, I get deadpan faces looking back at me because they never even considered measuring the ROI of leader development. And I say, you absolutely must because you've got to figure out how are you getting to where you want to go? If you're not taking a deliberate effort to develop these people from internal values and vision and the mission and all that and filling in, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I even work with people and I say, I think you need to use a competitor of mine for this this aspect because they do that so much better than I do. One of those areas is assessments. We're talking about like Myers-Briggs or DISC or emotional intelligence. There's no reason for me to do that because there's some really good packages out there. Uh, effectively, they're competitors of mine. But we need that to help these people grow, and we do all these different pieces. So I really think that it really comes down to that. That's my best answer to your question. Is yeah. no, that- they need to bring it internal. Yes, uh, because you just you, one of the things you said there, the word that stood out was culture. You can't just have a, if somebody come in and talk and say, "Hey, um, we're we're going to develop your leaders. We're going to help you develop your leaders," and not have any idea 
of of the culture, uh, a character of that organization. I, I can, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, what if the Marine Corps outsourced its leadership <laughs> development, right? It's just some Sorry, Silicon Valley. Funny. No, yeah, right? It, it is funny. It's like you could see that right now. They'd be coming in, right, from Silicon Valley and it said, okay, teach us how to develop our leaders right now. Obviously, it's not going to happen. It's just a, this is a very extreme example. But I, they would have no concept of the culture. Most of them have never – even been, you know, they they're aware of the military's existence, but haven't ever had any firsthand exist, you know, experience with them. And uh, and that's true, by the way. I find that very often in the civilian world. It, oh, yeah. You know, we grow up in in having both of us were around military families, and then we made the military mm-hmm. a career. So we, you know, it's very uh, everything about it is is uh, is organic to who we are. But Absolutely. that that is not the case for the majority of Americans, and so it's, it's very very interesting to talk to people uh, out in the world. But yeah, they, there is no. That's just an example of culture. So every organization has its own culture. Its they own. The, the people who started that had some kind of a vision, and who they were was manifested into that vision as they grew. And so if you if you come in from the outside and say, I'm going to develop leaders and you have no understanding of that, that is difficult. Can you offer some advice? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are, are there are there ways to uh, – are there things you can do? You've, you've proven that. You make a, a living on that. You, you go out and say, hey, here are some tools mm-hmm. to help you to get better, to help mm-hmm. good people become great leaders, right? And then you help mm-hmm. them do that. Um, but it, it, if, you're, if you're asked to you know, understand their culture – you you can't. It takes years to start to understand a culture. So that that's an interesting point. Um, and it kind of goes back to, to to what I was – another thing I was – I'm going to change directions here if that's okay for a moment because the beginning of the book was, uh, was very interesting to me um, and in that it was different than the rest of the book. The beginning of the book was, was very much a um, – was more about leadership. As it applies to society right mm-hmm. now, it was very um, uh, satellite image uh, of leadership, and I found it very compelling, actually. And actually, I sensed, and correct me if I'm wrong, I sensed a uh, there's a trepidation uh, for the future uh, based on what you've been seeing. I wish I could say something else. I wish I could tell you that everything's rosy and <laughs> wonderful out there, but we just have so many situations that we're facing, whether it's in our society or even more globally and those kind of things that I don't know that we're really taking a good, strong look at those things. And that's why I put those five questions in the beginning of the book to look at them from a societal perspective. But then I I've try got to them right here, it- by the way, Ken. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer the way I the way I looked at him, and then you can keep going. I, I just want you to know what I what I came from before you. I love it. Yeah. So I, I wrote these down. It says uh, the first was dealing with the healing the factors that divide us, mm-hmm. uh, and and how leadership pertains to that. Are we on that path? And I put no. By the way, Mm-mm. and this is having, having look at how polarized we are. Well, that's I, it. And I and this is a, after having talking talked to. Uh, a uh, great many people from all walks of life. Um, my last interview was with a guy named Frank Diana, who is just absolutely mm-hmm. a brilliant guy, a futurist, uh, mm-hmm. and fascinating. Um, and uh, he he has said in, in, before in talks that he thinks it will get worse before it gets better, uh, but that he does think it will get better, and I do agree with that. So I, I think for the first question, I, I are we on the path to heal the, the those things that divide us? I put no. And then the other one was, uh, are we getting are 
are we making progress in threats to health and our way of life? And those are two very separate things, right? So mm-hmm. I, I put yes for the first one. Uh, in general, we, are, uh, we have a healthy standard of living, a healthier standard of living. That's mm-hmm. probably going to get better now. Will it be available to everyone? That's another thing, and we have to that's we have to make sure of that. That's right. That's where leaders come in, and then our way of life. Well, that's an interesting question. I took that from an American uh, um, national perspective, I suppose, and I thought, well, sure, probably not, but maybe. So I put no to that one, but I didn't put no in a negative way, like oh, dang it. I put no in a fact that it is uh, just a part of how things evolve. Rome is gone. Yes. Will not come back. One day, what we think of as America will be gone. It will not come back. That's fine. There will be something else. There will be something else good. There will be something else bad. I put no on our way of life in terms of, hey, the the Norman Rockwell paintings are not going to be our norm, right? So anyway, I don't think that's necessarily bad. But again, doing what you do, leadership can, can ensure that we are headed to a good place. If we if we go down the the right way, uh, then the next one was a path to greater prosperity. I put yes um, on that one. I, I think we'll probably continue to see uh, uh, at least a greater uh, individual household earnings uh, and ability to afford so. luxuries. It, it has been that way. I think we'll probably head that way. It's not just here in America; it's across the world. Um, oh, look at how many people, how many millions yeah. of people have been pulled out of poverty yeah, just uh, in the last X period of ten. Staggering, it's incredible. staggering. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of. Do you, do you, uh, are, you know who Steven Pinker is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of him. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, He's, cool. uh, yeah, uh, his book Better Angels uh, of Our mm-hmm. Nature is mm-hmm. just. I mean, you you read it and you can't help but feel okay. Yeah, we're, Things are going well. And then, of course, you, you get on Twitter again and you see something else and you think, ah, things are going worse. This is horrible. <laughs> Everything's bad. And then you're mad going to work. And, but no, I, I put yes on that one because I think we are getting better globally, globally even, right? So. Not just mm-hmm. us. And that's good because if we don't think globally, right, then you don't have that, what you said, an abundance mentality. That's right. So I think we're, we're getting better. And the next one was testify to the values of goods and services. That was an interesting one because I thought, well, it depends on, you know, who you're dealing with. If I go to Walmart, I'm going to say no. But if I, uh, you know, if I go to the guy who, um, you know, handcrafts wooden canoes in Michigan, then yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So there's a little bit of yes and no on that one. And I think that the answer to that is, Yes, on goods and services, we're willing to testify to those things. But at the smaller level, at the smaller level, it seems, the more of a bureaucracy there is around that good or service, the hard, the, the harder it is to testify to that, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. I, that's my sense on that one. I don't know what you think. but And then the last one is, you know, it, it was about soaring, living truly fulfilled lives. Oh, I put no. And 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 again, I waffled on this one, but, but it goes back to something that I was thinking, which is, and you you put it in your book. There was a quote. Um, actually, it was a quote by the comedian Louis C.K. He oh, said, yeah. "If every if everything is so great, why is everyone not happy?" <laughs> Forget the grammatical uh, correctness of that. Yeah, uh, that's, it was that's good. Uh, it was all, but I thought, yeah, it, it. I there is a sense to me that people are angry. Angrier. Mm-hmm. It probably has to do with that polarization you mentioned. And it does in a big way. Even though we have all of this stuff. Okay, so I'll let you go for a while. I just wanted to answer those five questions, which takes us back to 
what I had said before, the sense that I got from the beginning of the book that maybe things aren't going in the right direction. Well, you know, when we look at it, and thanks for bringing those up, and, and yeah. thanks for going through that exercise yeah, of, yeah. Uh, looking that at it fun. In, internally, because that was great. But, As usual, I overthought things, by the way. <laughs> uh, ENTP? Yes, ENTP, the debater, okay. the creative debater. Uh, yep. uh-huh. Stop uh-huh. debating, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> But when we look at it from that perspective, when I did the questions, let people know, I, when I did the questions, I wasn't looking at it because I'm angry and we got to fix this and we got to fix it. No, I was looking at it because when it I didn't come away. It from, didn't come across that way, by the way, Ken. Yeah, good. Because when I look at things, I try to look at them from, all right, things are really pretty good, but I'm always looking at how could they be better? Yeah. And so these are the five questions that I look at and say, okay, where are we with these? Because chances are we could be better. And that's what I think we want to do is we know how to look at it and say, that's yeah, good enough. I hate that term when people say it's good enough. No, because we have so much potential. We only have so much time on this planet. Why wouldn't we want to give the most, to get the most, to be the most, to, you know, that whole thing that were possible? Because I really believe instead of soaring, and I talk to people about this, I think so many people are settling and I think that's one of the reasons why people are not happy because they're putting all this effort in, but it's only going to good enough results. And I think we could do better collectively, individually. And that's why I tried to take the book from a collective perspective in the beginning and take it to more personalized perspective at the ending because that's where I start with leaders is I try to get them to figure out where are you on this continuum and where are you going? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish in life? And how do you want to share that? Because one of the best ways to share that is by developing those leaders who are coming behind you who carry on that. That's why as, as in a book saw, uh, my fifth value for me personally is to leave a legendary legacy because I want people to – I don't care if they know my name, but I want them to have an idea of how they can live better. And they can pass that on to others, and if that's my legacy and nobody knows my name, I'm good with that. I don't care, but I do care about people, and I want them to live great lives. That's my that's my spiel. I'll get off that soapbox. No, that's good. Uh, uh, um, and I, I definitely sense that, by the way, reading it. You, you actually said something to that effect in the book where, hey, uh, I, I want my – as a matter of fact, it might have been even – you might have said that right from the beginning. You know, hey, to my to my dad, my granddad, my grandma, my mom, uh, it, here's the legacy I'm leaving. I hope you're proud of it. I, I think that was right in the beginning actually. Um, so that comes across in the book. Let me bring you back to a quote then and we'll bring it down to we'll, – we'll, t- we'll step back from the uh, – or how about we zoom in the satellite camera. And this is something that you said. Um, you, you basically said that unless we make drastic course corrections, the American dream will become a relic of history or worse yet, an American nightmare. What were you thinking when, when, when that was going through your, uh, you know, when you were writing that down, putting pen to paper? Well, and I think a lot of it does come back to this polarization where yeah. we used to be able to sit on our front porches and discuss with people and, um, you know, various aspects and understandings, but I learned something from Dr. Covey, and I used to be a Covey facilitator with his seven habits yeah. way back when in, in the early 90s. I yep. used to do that. Still, with, still, still in the Air Force. Yeah, still. And uh, 
I, I really enjoyed that book. And one of the things, you know, that he talked about, there's this idea of stimulus and response. And the thing that differs for the human race from all other animals on this planet is that we have the ability to separate from stimulus and response and have critical thought in the middle. And then one of his prime habits was listen to understand. And I think we listen to respond. And I think our polarization causes that. And so we've got these camps that are forming. And unfortunately, I think those camps cause us to do some things that we really don't want to do, go places we really don't want to go. And if we don't get a grip on this, and it's probably not going to happen at the echelons of those running for the highest office in the land. It's going to happen amongst us grassroots folks who say, hey, this is a pretty darn good way of life. I mean, there's some gorgeous countries around the world. Oh, I, I love my time in the military and the, the opportunity my kids have gotten to walk the Great Wall. We were actually, uh, and I was a little nervous about this at first. I did not wear my B-52 hat, but we were in Hiroshima for the anniversary of the bombing. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, what a powerful experience. And you know, some of the other things that we've experienced, whether it's in Philippines, Thailand, Hong Kong, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, Italy, you name it, the places that we've gotten to go and experience and get the kids to see what it's like out there. And, and, and it's a great part of the world. But, and I don't think it's just because I am an American. I was always glad to come back here because I always thought that when we talk about the land of opportunity, I don't think there is a better place. And so I don't want to lose that because should every other country in the world adopt our constitution? I think that's foolish. But should they at least look at how we got where we are and take a look at how they can help their people get where they could go and all those kind of things? I don't know uh, about most of the people out there, but I don't want to lose that because I've got kids. Yeah. And I want those kids to have the best life possible. Yep. So so that's great. <laughs> I, it, the the way you opened that up was with, uh, look at the polarization. Mm-hmm. And so that is actually where I would probably say, yes, that is where we are slipping. Yeah. Uh, and that we can't have, and this is actually why I do this podcast. I don't know, did you, you might have, I mm-hmm. sent you a link. I don't know if you got onto my website and looked around mm-hmm. and saw, but my mission statement, part of it was to improve mm-hmm. civil discourse. Uh, the idea was that, hey, I wanted to reach out. I want to reach out to people and, and hear other opinions and, and hear what they have, especially people who are experts on things and, and get their take so that I can take that in and get a better understanding of the world. So you're absolutely right. I, I feel the same way. Should every country adopt the American Constitution? Absolutely not. One, it came from a culture. It came from something that it it was organic. It was organic. It happened. And, mm-hmm. and it's worked very well. There are other countries that obviously have done very well, too. Um, I tend to believe I'm one of those who believes that you know a Western liberal-style de- democracy where the markets are – um, are less regulated by government and uh, tend to have, and I, you can make arguments to this. I, I argue that they have been uh, the better for human uh, flourishing, mm-hmm. for human flourishing, individual flourishing, individual yes. flourishing. Yes. And because I am a guy that 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 values individualism, you know, over group. Not that I mm-hmm. think that, uh, that, you know, I always say they're not 
they're not exclusive. It's just that I think at the end of the day, um, those who are different, those who uh, are different than the Orthodox should have the ability to flourish too. And I think that's what a, a Western liberal democracy does. Uh, a seat at the table. Yes, better, better than others. And so, yeah, okay, you are not like the majority but you get everything that we get and mm-hmm. that same opportunity. And I, I think, you know, we've obviously had our bumps as a country. Um, and so, sure. and we're getting better. Uh, and, you know, you have to acknowledge those, of course, you know, you can't, you can't just say, Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, and brush those under. There has to be some acknowledgement in that to some extent. Uh, how we do that is, is more, uh, is definitely going to be, um, uh, you know, discussion for people that have been trusted to leadership positions right now. I'm just a voice out there trying to kind of have these discussions with uh, smart guys like yourself and, and talk about it. And then maybe people hear this and think about that. Uh, in this case, from a leadership perspective, you know, how do leaders get us out of that polarization? And, uh, well, I'm just going to throw this out. Here's something I thought is it, it, there used to be, I mean, even when I was young and, and you're older than I am, but we, when we were younger, there was bipartisan there, there was so much bipartisan. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, there were measures that were passed. There were people that reached across the aisle all mm-hmm. the time and made things happen. Uh, and it, there's less and less of that. That is objectively true. You can look at that right now uh, in many different sources. That is objectively true. There is less uh, bipartisanship. Um, more, um, we are separated more. It goes back to technology. Um, social media has has enabled us to to stovepipe our existence. You talked about Walter Cronkite in your book. I've mentioned him when, in my uh, you know, booze-filled night discussions with friends many times. <laughs> like He would roll over in his grave right now. Uh, the you know, so-called news, uh, we have a hard time. Every, almost everybody, right or left, doesn't trust news anymore because they've become um, uh, entertainment. Commodita- commoditized entertainment in which we... Are the commodity they're selling really? our eyeballs, our ears, so that you know to a certain audience. Hey, the people you get are going to be, you know, Bernie supporters. Hey, these people—they're all you know. Uh, Rachel Maddow gets a certain audience, right? And uh, Tucker gets another audience, and all of that is less trustworthy all the time, um, which is why I really do love podcasts. Almost everything that I devour now is podcasts because Mm -hmm. I find there are people out there having great long discussions like this in which they're talking about differences. And so um, how do leaders get us out of that polarization? I think when you look at the way you framed it, I, I really like, I really enjoy because this is not a left country. This is not a right country. This is a whole country. And we've got mixes of these different groups, and we got people somewhere in between all those spectrums on a continuum. And so what we have to recognize, and one of the things that I would recommend leaders really think about when they're going through, I think it goes back to, uh, if I remember my Latin correctly, that you have on your website and your logo for the Ready Room, uh, virtue and knowledge, right? And I think we, is that right? It's, That's uh, it, it's actually, right? it's, yeah, so it's uh, strength and knowledge. Strength and knowledge. Uh, strength virus and knowledge. Yes. Strength. Uh, t- I think virus really kind of comes to more like a um, uh, manly strength. Uh, and, and so it was more the idea of the battle-tested warrior who also yes. is okay. a thinker. 
And, but and virtue, of course, is all a part of that. So maybe I should it ex- is. expand I get it, my Latin. I, I get where it comes from. <laughs> when we break it down. Yeah. yeah, okay. But when we look at it, I think one of the things that leaders could do themselves and help their people understand is when they're looking at any issue, internal to an organization or to this entire country, wherever we're looking at, do not believe that your opinion is fact. It's opinion. And you have to be willing to accept others' opinions. And if we could get people to just get off this belief that the way I feel, the way I believe is the way of the world, that's going to kill us if we don't get off that. So and I I'm think gonna, that gonna, happens in organizations. I'm going to give well. you a very uncatholic amen on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Be healed. Uh, I, 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 so I was right. Yeah. It's <laughs> just Good point. I was raised Catholic, and uh, I don't really practice anymore. Um, I, my wife and I, I, I don't attend church as much anymore for my own personal reasons. But uh, my wife goes to a Baptist church. We went to, so we've been going to Baptist church. I go with her now, and um, and one of the first things I noticed, I don't know if you how you were raised or whatever, but one of the first things I noticed when I started going to Baptist church is they like to exclaim out loud, right? You know, in the middle of the service, you know, what we would call mass in Catholic, but in Catholic church, that does not happen. Does you not stay very quiet. You know exactly when your response is supposed to come and you've memorized it, right? It's written down. And it's right, you know, it is right to give him thanks and praise. Boom. You know when to say that. You do not exclaim. And so in the Baptist church, they will, amen, hallelujah, uh-huh. You know, the whole thing. And I remember the first time being like looking around like, Hey, are they allowed to talk like that? And she's like, oh, no, yeah, that's encouraged. <laughs> so let me give you an amen on that. That's exactly – that is such a good point, Ken. You know, do not believe that your opinion is fact and then try to back it up and rationalize it. And we're all guilty of this by having yep. your stovepipe online experience mm-hmm. fortify that belief. I, I am – I really am doing this, this podcast, for the exact reason that I want somebody to start saying, hey, here's something that I believe that you may not believe so that I can consider it. Exactly. That's what I'm hoping will happen, and that's what I think leaders – leaders have to foster that attitude because I've, I've – unfortunately, I've been with an awful lot of leaders who – at least they're in the leadership position that they believed it's my way or the highway. And nobody was allowed to have a, uh, an opinion. Nobody was allowed to have an input. Everybody just, okay. And that is such a lame organization typically. I mean, they may do okay for a while, but over time, you're going to find out that they're not anywhere close to what they could be if they were to just change that understanding and, and get the inputs from these other incredibly powerful people that they probably hired. And, you know, Boy, when you put that together, it's just amazing what we can do. Yeah. It's just this. Yeah. Yep. Maybe that's it, you know. So if, if it starts at the uh, grassroots level, I already kind of sense, and, and maybe this is just me being optimistic of late, that uh, that there's less – that I think we're starting to come around um, a little bit as a society to sort of this, okay, we got to stop just saying that the other side is, is you know – you know, they saw it's either communist or or they're Hitler, right? I mean, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's just hysterical. What they, you know, uh, except for that, it's sad. But I think there's a little bit lessening of that. Um, you know, again, I don't know that we're going to get much, you know, really better. And in the, in the, I, I think that the next election cycle is going to be very bitter. Um, and I'm not looking. Oh, forward it's going to be ugly. Yeah, That's I'm not my looking take, forward to it. Unfortunately. Uh, 
But I, 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 do I will hope, tell you yeah, that, that those eyeballs you were talking about commoditizing. Yeah. I know four eyeballs that they've lost. Well, yeah. We don't. We don't. We don't pay attention to yeah. that. We get our news in other <laughs> in other ways. I'm not, I gotta I'm not gonna be part of that. Yeah, I gotta tell you a story that uh, is gonna make me look bad. I think. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I was less than mindful in this case. So my uh, father-in-law came over. My, my in-laws were visiting, and uh, I I came I came home um, uh, from doing something, and uh, you know I come around the corner into the living room, and the TV's on, and uh, it was uh, it was Fox News, um, and I literally without saying a word, I mean, he's very intent. They're watching the, the TV, but my kids are playing around on the floor, so I'm already a little bit angry, like that. That's and so I picked it up. I picked up the remote without any anybody looking, and I just turned it off. And they, they, he turned around and looked at me, and I'm sitting there with the remote, and I just dropped it. I was like, "We're not going to have that." And he, you know, and I walked out of the room. Well, instantly I was like, "Ah, damn it!" <laughs> you know, and my wife comes around the corner like, "What was that?" I was like, "You're right. I'm sorry." Uh, anyway, uh, my father-in-law went upstairs, sort of, you know, I think sort of to calm down, and I went up and I was like, "Hey, look, I'm really sorry about that." And uh, that was the wrong thing to do. I was like, I just really, really, truly feel that, that the 24-hour news cycle is harming all of us, and I just don't want it in my house, and I certainly don't want it while my kids are playing on the floor. Um, so, And it had nothing to do with what channel because I'm not going to sit here and tell you what side I pick. Uh, but but they, it does not matter now because all of those 24-hour news channels are exactly what we just talked about. They, they are selling our eyeballs uh, to a certain – to, to who's paying their bills because it isn't mm-hmm. us. So I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I get my news now from, from people who, uh, who I think are, are trying to be a, a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I listen to this, I listen to what we're doing. I listen to people out there. Joe Rogan has three hour conversations. Why smokes pot with Elon Musk. That is cool to me. And I'm like, wow, here are great ideas. And these guys definitely are not the same kind of person. Right. But, no. um, yeah, so However, I, I, I just, I, that's kind of what I do. So I, that was, that was just a little aside, you know, you mentioned, uh, uh um, in your book, you read, uh, Gladwell's blank. Oh, great book, right? Uh, well, uh, just if we can put a plug in for Malcolm. Yeah, I mean, Ma- Malcolm just, is brilliant, man. Yeah. He makes me think I know. so much. I'm, I'm actually Blink. jealous of that guy sometimes. Oh, like, gosh, it's like when yeah. I watch good guitar players, I'm like, damn it. Come on. That's not fair. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, I'll tell you, I had a Stratocaster when I was a kid. Ah. Mom and dad found it in a pawn shop. Yeah. And oh man, it was great. Anyway, I can't play anymore, but I yes, love you that. can. <laughs> well, I don't play. Ah, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. but um, uh, Gladwell is just a phenomenal thinker, and just I mean, and sometimes I read it, I say, "Really?" And I have to let it absorb. And I say, "Oh yeah," <laughs> you know. So he's in, he's amazing. And, and not, yeah, not only is he a phenomenal thinker, but it, to, to have that and also be able to put it down in compelling story like that mm-hmm. is just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, truly a, truly a treasure, man. He's is unbelievable. Oh, he is. Um, so I'm glad, I was glad you mentioned Blink. Um, my my uh, partner, Chunks, um, he, he, he was of the firm belief that every single combat pilot, uh, that should be required reading. Blink should be required reading. Oh, yeah. Trust your gut. Uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's what it comes down to, that's right? It. It, at the gut. end, it was sort of even though we gave all these different examples of where you know the 
uh, sometimes not, sometimes so. They were, and they were great stories, and you read them, and you're just like, oh, my God. And uh, remember the one about the museum buyer that got – Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. Where they oh, bought those? Uh, what do you yeah. mean it's a fake? Yeah, they, the science <laughs> did all of the stuff on it, and they said this is a genuine article. And someone who had never even they walked up to it. They were such an expert. They looked at it and went, "That's a fake." And they were like, "No, it's not." And sure enough, it was. They didn't have any of that lab equipment. They just knew mm-hmm. it. That gut instinct is is usually right, given the proper background, right? And that was the thing. And so he came to it. It was like, hey. Your gut instinct, we have evolved so that our gut instinct is generally the right one. Mm-hmm. That gut instinct can be trained to to react correctly. Uh, and in that case, in that museum curator who who looked instantly at that statue that they had paid millions of dollars for, right, and said, that's a fake. And they went, what are you talking about? We've done all the research. And sure enough, it was a fake. They, they, were, they swallowed millions of dollars. And then the other one about the police officer who thought he saw something and shot that man in the stairs. But that wasn't that, – that, his gut instinct was wrong in that case, but it wasn't – it didn't have – because that was a situation for which he hadn't been adequately trained, and and so it became and a case study right. like that, like your like the B fifty two accident that you uh, mishap that mm-hmm. you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Gladwell. What I mean, what a great, great, um, what a treasure. Yeah. Well, we're we're obviously really selling is. Gladwell's books right now. I think. That's, <laughs> I know. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so again, yeah, it's it's uh, it's on course by Ken Punch. Uh, there, uh, there we go. There so, we go. Please. Um, anyway, yeah. I mean, I think we, we both agree. You know, there's some uh, like I, like I said, I can't play the guitar um, like Tommy Emmanuel, so that's fine. And, uh, but it's good that they're out there. And and you know, I th- I thought about that. Um, you mentioned the uh, the Korean War book too uh, about Chesty Puller. Have you oh. read uh, Last Stand of Fox Company? I have not. I gotta highly recommend this. Okay. Um, so leadership at the lower level, and yeah. talk about compelling reading, and talk about you know finishing a book and being like. Yeah, I'm nothing, man. I'm nothing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get those. I just na- read. Uh, oh, what was the name of it? With their bare hands. It was about the 79th division in World War One. Yeah. Grandpa lost battalion as part of the 77th and 78th, but it was a 79th division. Same kind of thing. Yeah. I'm like the old uh, Wayne and Garth. I'm not worthy. You know, yeah, I that's you. exactly. Well, I highly recommend uh, Last Stand at Fox Company. It's I very will. quick and I'll easy to it. read. Uh, and and again, it's about the uh, the fight at the Chosen, and uh, just amazing what those uh, what those went guys through. went through. Um, are you? Uh, do, do you listen to podcasts? I do. Yeah. I, know, I know you're busy, Ken, uh, and it's hard for. Uh, I just have a long commute, so my my day job has me driving an hour and a half one way. So three oh, hours wow. of the day, I'm on the road. So I just devour podcasts. Um, and uh, have you ever heard of Dan Carlin, Hardcore History? No. Okay. So no, I don't know that one. Um, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. R- r- write this down, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. And since your grandpa was in the Lost Battalion. In my opinion, Dan Carlin's best series, and it's a six-parter. Every part is like four hours long. So uh. he, he when he does these, he researches mm-hmm. these things for months and years, and then he puts out one episode, and then he does it again. You won't see another one for months and months and months. He has a six-parter uh, on World War One. Oh, jeez. And it should be required listening, I think. Um, for for everyone, it, it's it's so compelling. He tells a story so well, and yet it's so horrifying and so tragic that that war even happened. 
That's and right. the amount of people that that lost their lives. It, 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 yeah, I, so I don't want to. I don't want to say anymore. But it is the most compelling thing I've ever heard. I think that given your uh, family history, if you if you listen to Dan Carlin's uh, series on World War One, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, and I do. I mean, I love Zoom, and I do do a lot of Zoom with my clients. But one of the things that I do is uh, um, I do have to travel to some clients, and so that's where I get a lot of podcast time. You know, yeah. yeah I just, well, I just put it on the phone and just go. It'll take you a while to finish this series. <laughs> get by dance. the way, uh, just his, just that series. But it, it's it's worth it, man. Every time I picked it back up and listened, I I, I remember. You know, I would stop listening and have this overwhelming. S- sense of almost like uh you know my god you know how do we get to these points and, and how those people that were there and uh it, you you will love this uh so I, I anyway i just i throw that out there i know we're, we're kind of getting off track a little bit um oh i don't think so i don't know that this yeah well that's what's great that's actually why i do these conversations i love getting yeah. off track i just sometimes i'm like okay let me find my way back to <laughs> what we were talking about which you know which is leadership in general and uh and then sort of how we go about that but um so let me let, let, here's a, something that i wanted to talk uh talk to you about in terms of leadership you, you you really can kind of bring – you actually mentioned it in the book. You said, when I look back at all the jobs I had, what were great experiences and what were poor experiences for me? You said, it always came down to my boss. Mm-hmm. If the boss was bad, it was a bad experience. If I had mm-hmm. a great boss, it was a good experience. In that way, leadership really applies to all of us. And mm-hmm. you know, the Marine Corps mantra is that everyone's a leader. You're always a leader. Mm-hmm. If there's two Marines together, one of them's in charge. That's what they always say, right? Okay, mm-hmm. I got it. That's a bit of a platitude, and, and we do work in platitudes. I think you actually had something in, in the book about uh, you know poster poster board leadership or something like poster, that. Yeah, poster you know, board I, leaders. Yeah, I just yep. had the vision of all those uh, poster proxy leaders. Poster Sorry. proxy. Yeah. That was it. Uh, yeah, and it's just about you know it'll say determination, and then it'll give you a plithy uh, statement at the bottom, and there's a sailboat out there, and you're like, is this supposed to do something for me, man? No. No, but uh, but but in that way, you know, we're, we all belong to an organization. There's all a place for us in these organizations, for the most part. For the most part, I mean, mm-hmm. many people, uh, some people are, are are unfortunate in that they don't have anything, and other people are are fortunate enough, I guess, to to be running their own thing, and everything yep. is on them, and and then that can be, you know, that has its own drawbacks. But oh, for yeah. the most most of us, we're we're in an organization where there's some sort of hierarchy. We know our place in it, and we all have a little bit of leadership, and we're all being led at the same time. You talked about the void uh, in there, and the void uh, was this. I think you said it was an emptiness, and it's caused by this uh, by the realization that you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. How how ubiquitous is that, do you think? I think it's deeper than we might want to believe. I agree. I think I yeah, I really do. I think a lot of people are are doing things. I used to teach here at Penn State in the business college. We are and <laughs> I had to say we are. I had to throw it out there. Penn <laughs> State. That's right. <laughs> and it's amazing how many students I would have in office hours and the question I would ask is, why are you here? Because it's obvious they're not putting much into their studies. They're coming for, they're really coming, hoping I would give them something when what they didn't realize was 
that's what I'm doing in the classroom every day is giving you something. And if I just gave you a grade, I'm not giving you something. I am taking an opportunity from you that is just so precious. There's no way, you know, we talked about integrity a little bit ago. There's no way that we could do that where I would just ah, give that to you. Because part of the problem is, is, so then what do I do for everybody else? Because I had other people I had to think about, and they're working to get this and this. And I'm just hurting you by, you think I'm helping you. And and I think there's so many people out there that they are in the void because they're working to someone else's expectations. Whether it's mom and dad at a young age, you're going to go be a doctor or whatever it is. And that's just not what they want to do. Now, there's an awful lot of young people that need some kind of guidance and direction. So if they don't have that guidance and direction, try to, you know, like herding cats, at least point them in, in one direction to see how well they do. And if they don't, okay, we can change that. But let's go this way, not just sit and play video games all day and, and not get much out of life. But I think there's an awful lot of people on the job that just go home. And, and as much of a cliche as it's become, I think Office Space is one of the best movies I'm glad you brought that up, family. actually. I, I was going to bring that up at the end. Like, hey, is Office Space good PME for what you do, by the way? <laughs> uh, well, it's it's actually good for business because yeah. <laughs> you, know, you have an Office Space situ- issue- situation here, and we can fix that. <laughs> so it's good for getting business, too. Yeah, you've been missing uh, a lot of work lately, Ken. Well, I'm not sure I've been I'm missing not sure it. I'm missing it. <laughs> Yeah, Bob, I wouldn't say I'm missing it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Absolutely. You know, and it's those kind of things where, where people – and do we have to be hypnotized like Peter to realize that this is not how I want to live and this is not how I should live? And, and I'm not saying that office – you know, people in, in an office should revolt against their leaders, but hopefully they can get to a point where – they really do believe that they're contributing. And one of the things that I've, that I've worked in is that in this realm of leader development, a lot of people believe, you know, they call it the soft skills. Well, that's one of the hardest things you can do. But are you measuring your results? And I ask people that. It's amazing the looks I get. What do you mean measuring results? Well, you're expending all this effort. Are you measuring what output you're getting from it? Uh, leadership is subjective. It can't be measured. And I say, au contraire, let's talk about the kind of things that you can look at to determine whether or not you are, as the book title says, on course. Are you even on course? Not that you've gotten there, but at least on a point where you could get there someday. You need to measure. And a lot of people aren't even measuring. So uh, there's a Harvard professor out closer to you than me, Teresa Amabile. And she's talked about it. She's done a lot of discussions and studies and research on the idea of motivation and human motivation specifically. She lists something most people would not even think about in terms of, well, what motivates me? But in her research, she's found that the number one thing she believes motivates people is progress. Well, if we don't even know whether or not we're making any progress, how are we going to be motivated to do the kind of things we need to do if she's anywhere close to being correct? And so I think we have to understand as leaders, we've got to measure our results and are we getting where we want to go? Because if we don't do that, we're failing. Just it's that clear to me. So 
I don't know if that helps with what we were talking about, but it just it just came to me is that that's something that's so vital. No, it does. I, I you know, so the 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 deeper thing is, I, if you don't, if you feel like you're not even where you're supposed to be, but you happen to probably be making, maybe you're making what you figure is a good living. Well, then how do you just turn, you know, it's, it's very hard to just turn and go in another direction. Um, uh, probably, uh, Joe Batista, who I mentioned earlier, um, would, would, would say, Hey, there's a pragmatic way to go about that and, and to look into, you know, uh, creating a more passionate life for yourself. But I, I, and, and we talked about that as well. And I'm, I know I'm bringing it up back here because I've struggled with that myself. You know, I was in the Marine Corps for 24 years again. And I, I, at a certain point I realized this probably isn't what I'm meant to be doing. And yet it's what I do. And I'm not just going to turn around and leave it um, without something. Now, mm-hmm. actually, I can tell you a story. I, I did actually get out for a, a brief period um, mm. and went to fly uh, for a company uh, out in Nashville. Uh, for, it was about two years, and, and then the war started to heat up. And, uh, and, and You're a King Air pilot, aren't you? I, I am, yeah. I fly yeah, King Airs. Yeah. Uh, um, as well as Cobra, so Cobra was my was my main uh, ship in the in the Marine Corps. But, right, right. But uh, so I, I was I was flying King Airs for a, a commuter uh, mm-hmm. air air uh, carrier uh, in Nashville, and the war started heating up. That was about two thousand seven, and okay. uh, the, the the my buddy called and said, "Hey, the Red Dogs are going to Iraq in the fall. They need guys." Uh. And, and so I went back into the reserves. That's how I came back in, and I I actually liked the reserve so much that I stayed. But I, even then, I knew I was like, okay, I'm doing this because, well, the war's heating up, and when I joined the military, I joined because I wanted to go serve my country and semper fi, and I wanted to be put in. You know, I, I didn't I didn't want to be in danger, but at some point, I think I thought that that was a way to. To test myself, uh, mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of young men that feel that way, and they go in the military. Hey, mm-hmm. I want to I see what I'm made of. I want to see mm-hmm. what I'm made of. Uh, you know, and that, and the fact that flying the Cobra is a lot of fun, and uh, in a way, so I, I uh, so I went back in, and I, I liked the reserves, and I, and I thought, okay, well, I like the reserves a little bit better than the, uh, the regular active duty. Side. Active. <laughs> and I, so I went in active duty with the reserves, and that's how I ended up staying in, but. It still was there. I mean, I still was like, okay, this isn't really what I should be doing. On the other hand, Ken, I knew when I was flying in Nashville for that little outfit, trying to get some time built up to go to, you know, Delta mm-hmm. or Southwest or something, that that wasn't what I wanted to do either. That I was just chasing something that was expected. And at some point, I was like, man, what is it I want to do? So uh, I think that there are so many people out there like that. They just don't know what it is, or maybe they think that if they do think what it is, they, they're like, well, I can't just make that a vocation. I'll be penniless. I don't want to be a starving artist, right? So I sense that there's more of that out there. I think so. Than, than, than we let on. And I think it's fear. I think it's doubt. I think it's all these other emotions that get mixed in there. That's um, I hate to use baggage in a negative term, but you know, let's face it. When when you have a family and you're responsible for supporting them, you've got to take that into consideration as yep. you go through that. You've got to carry those bags Absolutely. and and deal with that, right? Yep. But I would yeah, at, I would say that's a responsibility. I mean, that's right. That is. 
That's, so you have to factor that into what you're doing. So you have to plan for these kind of things. As Joe would talk about, that's the pragmatic side of this too. I don't, don't just jump from one thing to another because I don't like what I'm doing. Well, let me tell you, even what I do, there's some days I don't like what I'm doing at all. But I know there's a bigger purpose behind what I'm doing. And so I do these things I don't necessarily like to do so that I can do those things I really enjoy doing. And it's part of the piece of that too. You know, So I think – so let me interrupt real quick because something just came to me, Ken. Part of what you're – part of the greatness of what you're doing and where you can say, hey, I think – I can see the bigger picture that I'm doing something. You're doing something that you have created. You're working at yeah. something that you've created. I think for most people, that would be something that they would – they're like, yes. Now, there are definitely people out there that – that fit into an order that they are followers. They want to be that's in an order. And, mm-hmm. and that's great because there are different types. We need them. But uh, uh, most people, given, you know, if you asked them, hey, would you rather be working for yourself, doing something that you're passionate about? They would say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, the, uh, that um, that has been this, this podcast. I majored in broadcast journalism at Penn State and uh, I never used it. I went, uh, you know, I went <clears throat> into the recruiter's office and, <clears throat> uh, and joined up and uh, went to flight school. Well, how does a journalist do in flight school in the Marine Corps? I, again, too too philosophical, I guess. But uh, yeah, but I got my retirement. Speak up radios a lot. Yeah. That, so I, I I decided, hey, you know, what do I really like to do? One, I love speaking publicly. I've always been. So I think that's one of my, you know, if I have to pick a talent, mm-hmm. usually I'm very self-deprecating. Uh, if I had to toot my own horn, I'd say a pretty good public speaker. And I'm naturally curious. And I just love to talk with people all the time, just like this, and sit and have these conversations. You, mm-hmm. you know, they're better with Angel's Envy, of course, but uh, <laughs> well, I'll take them in the mid-afternoon as well. But, uh, you know, and, it, and I always find that when I talk one-on-one with people, it's just great, especially if they're willing to talk. And right. I just thought, you know, how can I make that? You know, Joe, Joe Rogan's got my dream job, basically. But, you know, I, I won't, I'm not Joe Rogan. I never will be. But at least I get to do this on some level. Uh, and I do have a day job that I that involves aviation. But I, if anyone asked me, I would say that flying is not my passion. Um, you know, especially now that I don't have a twenty millimeter cannon on the front of my. That's aircraft. right. I so, mean, what the heck? Yeah, it's uh, you know. So I I did. I went and flew the King Air uh, as a uh, mercenary for a little yep. while after I got out. That was exciting. Uh, I definitely saw a lot of stuff. And um, mm-hmm. but yeah, at the same time, I was like, yeah, flying is not really what. I'm passionate about, and this is what I'm passionate about. That is that void that I when I when you mentioned that in the book, I thought that's what he's really probably talking about is that void. There's good days and there's bad days, but in your case, Ken, you are working at what you've created with something that you recognized a while back made you passionate. I don't know. Is that possible for everyone? Well, let's go. Got to go back to something. We got to yeah. correct something yeah, yeah. here. Bring it back. Remember man. what you said about me when I said I can't play guitar? What'd you say? Oh yes, you can. That's that's right. And you said what was, what was that that you said about Joe? Uh, I can't be as good as him. Hmm. Uh, uh, really? Uh, what uh, you mean, uh, uh, Tommy Emmanuel? <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> well, you know, Joe Rogan. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I. Uh-huh. You know what? That's true. I think I can probably be as good. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't know if, if I'm going to want to. Be, I don't know if, if I'm going to steal his audience by any means. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, but you know what? That I, would not be an abundance mentality. There's audience enough for everybody. And you know what? It's so funny. Oh, I, I got to say this now. I think Joe. I listen to him, and um, one of the great things that he does, he he brings in podcasters all the mm-hmm. time that are doing pretty well. They're coming up, and he interviews them. And their podcast gains this incredible following through him. He really, I think, does have an abundance mentality. He has people on all the time, and he goes, you should do this. You should do this. If he did not have that personality, he would be like, yeah, no, I wouldn't. You know, it's, it's, it's too hard. That's right. It's too he hard. He didn't interview anybody yeah, else. Not enough, yeah. Uh, and, and he doesn't. So yeah, great point, by the way. Thank you for bringing me back down. You're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm setting my expectations way too low, which I tend to do, it's by the way. Sore. That's sore. Right. Maybe sore. <laughs> anyway, get, get when we look drag. at it from the perspective, and there's two people that I will, I'll mention, and what do they say? Results are not typical. Well, that depends upon the person because two people, one of them people definitely know. The other one, many of your listeners probably know. And the first one is Angela Duckworth. She gave up a job with McKinsey. And people that don't know what that means, that means big bucks. And she did that because she knew she wasn't doing what she wanted to do. And now she's this acclaimed author and researcher and speaker and everything else because she became a teacher. And then she started going into the psychological aspects of things. And she wrote that book, Grit, right? Look at what happened to her because she decided, I want to go do what I want to do and not just make big bucks. The other one, people may know. That guy, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Jeff Bezos. He, too left a huge investment firm, an investment banking firm, making huge bucks. He probably wasn't making that in the early days of Amazon, you know, but look at him now. And so when we look at some of these people who have gone to follow something that they wanted to create, they knew they had something inside them. I did not know what I really had inside me when I started all this, what I was going to be able to do with it. I was at, at the beginning, oh my gosh, I had those doubts of, you know, okay, Who's going to think that a, mo- a couple of tools, one's a model, one's a cycle that relate to flying, connect with leading? Who's going to think that? Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, people gravitate to it and they, they love it because it gives them that framework that they can work from, you know? Uh, anyway, so those are just two examples. Yeah, that's great. By the way, uh Angela's uh, TED Talk, uh, real quick, yeah. was on uh, on grit. Uh, it was a real quick uh, mm-hmm. listen that was awesome. I recommend it. And then, of course, if you like it, you you really should go get that book and uh, read it as well. But that's a great point. And then Bezos, of course. Do we get, do we get commissions for all these? Books I know for- we should, right? Uh, I mean, there's got to be a, there's got to be a way. I, everybody's always asking me. They're like, "Hey, how much? You know, how much money does your podcast make?" I'm like. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's costing me money. My wife is telling me this all the time. So, uh, yeah, one of these days, maybe as I uh, as I get I go forward, I'll uh, maybe there'll be someone that that maybe I'll have enough people listening that they'll be like, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll sponsor you. But you're right, we're not getting commissions. But that's all right. We have an abundance mentality, Ken, and so I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to plug that for them. So, but um, absolutely, yeah. And then Jeff Bezos, you know, again, these these kind of people, they're um, and I don't know if they're just you know, there's an idea sometimes that there are some people that are just born to be great, and I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, there are definitely people with great talents. But, you know, may- maybe they've been gifted a little bit more uh, in that realm. Um, 
the, you know, the cognitive realm and also with that energy. As a matter of fact, me and my brother were just talking about, we're both big college wrestling fans. Uh, and uh, obviously Penn State's been fun to follow lately. And of course, we're Cal's pretty good. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and we talked, we were talking about, it's like, you know, it just doesn't you, – you cannot just have the physical talent. Some people – and it just goes to show just how hard it is to become an Olympic or world champion at some, mm-hmm. at some of these events. You have to – there has to be a little bit of lottery. And as a matter of fact, in your book, you – and I can't – I'm not going to remember the guy's name, Mark, Mark something. But you quoted and, – and he was a uh, – I, I think you even said he's one of your, uh, your mentors. But, but he says that I have I've, – in studying people for a long time, I've determined that you can move up on a scale of one to ten, two notches, two notches. So, so that hey, and he mentioned singing, right? He's like, hey, I love to sing. Good news, I love to sing. Bad news, cannot carry a note in a bucket. And so, I could spend countless hours and money and on tutors and training and practicing. He goes, and I'll only be a four. And you know, guess what? That's still below average. So. Are guys like Jeff Bezos uh, or, or Musk or any of these, you know, in, uh, incredible uh, entrepreneurs and and, uh, and influential people, are they are they just kind of born or born to be great? Is it that genetic lottery along with uh, with circumstances? Well, it, if I can, real quickly, that was John Maxwell. Yeah, and John so Maxwell. We'll help him sell his books today too. So that's good. Yeah, <laughs> but he's commissions got are the commissions are going bucks. up. I can't wait. We're both <laughs> going to get big paychecks this month, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and what John was talking about there is that we have to figure out what we are really good at, yeah. and then concentrate on those things. Oh, what's his name? I, I was going to forget. Concentrate it now. Concentrate in your strengths. Um, ah, I'll, it'll come to me. Yeah, anyway, that was a really good book. Too. Well, I've been forgetting people's names all this whole interview. Yeah. So, don't worry. <laughs> but it'll come back to me. We can only then, plug so many people. Can <laughs> <laughs> I think we've hit our critical That's limit. Right. <laughs> we did that about an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> the the I think the key is, and, and people do ask me all the time because I do think it relates to your question. Uh, this age-old question, are leaders made or born? I say, who cares? Leaders become. I don't care what talents you have because every leader has to become. And so when we're looking at it from that perspective, can everybody become a great leader? My answer to that is they probably don't have the desire which would keep them from it. Do they have the capability to do that? They're a human being. So yes, they have the capability to do that. But do they have the desire to do what it takes? And it's one of the things that I talk to some of these genius entrepreneurs and I help them because I work with some of the entrepreneurs too that at that very startup level, not so much. They're post-revenue, but at that level where they're really trying to figure out where they go, do they hire people and what they do? And one of the things that I highly recommend to many of those entrepreneurs is you probably need somebody that's going to, run your operations and deal with the people because you're just not really good at that. And so there are some people that have that genius quality and that genius capability that come up with these amazing ideas and these amazing programs and processes and gadgets and all that. But a lot of them, they're so focused and so tunnel vision on that. They're not mindful of their impact on others. And so those people, I do recommend that they bring somebody in that is, does have a lot of those leadership characteristics and qualities. And that in and of itself is them becoming a leader because they're recognizing their limitations. 
We talked about Clint Eastwood earlier. You know, man's got to know his limitations. Those people that are that real genius character and quality that recognize for their organization to get to where it could go, they need to bring in somebody else to help them deal with the people they need for in their operation. So even they can become really good leaders just by recognizing that limitation. Man. Ken, we've been going for an hour and a half, and that was just a great, oh my gosh, great thought to end it on. I, I just was like, I'm sitting there enthralled. Like, yep, I think you just summed it up. Um, what, a, what a great conversation, man! I, I know time flies a little bit when we're when we're doing this, or at least it usually does when I'm having fun. So, um, Ken, thank you so much for being here. Really, uh, well, what, what a pleasure! I look forward to our uh, sharing an angel's envy uh, over in Happy Valley at some point soon. Or me coming over to the ranch. One of those two things. Absolutely. I hope it happens. Uh, we love having guests out on the farm. It's uh, it's beautiful. You wouldn't believe it's Jersey, by the way. You'd be like, holy, that exists over here? Yeah, you can oh, find it. <laughs> I've been in central Jersey a number of times, and there's some gorgeous places. Yeah. I mean, not just along the coast, but there's some gorgeous places in the interior, too, and some great farmland, let's face it. But uh, We're on I want to thank you. Because well, uh, uh, and, and can I, th- I, I, I really think I need to thank you for something else, too. Yeah. Because on your website, one, thanks for having a B-17s in the background. <laughs> I really like that. Bomber guy. But, but um, one of the things that you have on there is a group of heroes of mine, even though I never had the opportunity to to associate with them much. I did get to meet one of them one time, and that was Benny Davis. But that's the Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah. Because for anybody who flew bombers or flies bombers, I think it's uh, – you talk, talk about uh, PME, required in, instruction, understanding what the Tuskegee Airmen did for us and how they propelled themselves to a level of respect was just amazing. Most people probably don't know if I can give this one statistic real yeah, quick. Yeah, no, go for it. I know what you're going to say. It's awesome. Well, there was a little over 12,000 B-17s built, and most of them flew in the European theater. <laughs> We lost over a third of them being shot down over Germany or German-occupied territories. How many did we lose when they were being escorted by the Tuskegee Airmen? A fat, whopping zero. What a great group. It's unbelievable. It really is an unbelievable statistic. Uh, Actually, I I, I did not know that until I read the story that you relayed in your book. Um, uh, Lear Lear was the Tuskegee Airmen, right? Mm -hmm. And then – I can't oh, remember. Yeah, what was the other guy's the other fella's name? But uh, anyway, yeah, so their story it is said amazing. that. Yeah, you, when you said that. As a matter of fact, wasn't um, I think being a B seventeen crew member was like only second to being a a German U boat sailor yeah, in terms of uh, death rate, in terms of casualty yeah. rate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, unbelievable. The Tuskegee Airmen never lost a bomber. Nope. It's, that's that's it's almost unfathomable, really. Not one. Yeah, no. I'm glad you saw. I'm glad you liked that because I saw that picture of them and I, I put that in and I was like, look at them, man. Look at them. They're sitting there briefing. They're such badasses, man. <laughs> oh, they were too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. All Americans owe them a, a debt of gratitude, man, because because uh, this is their legacy too. This is this is all of our legacy. Yes, sir. Uh, and that's that's I think what's important. Uh, so, uh, Ken, thank you again. I look forward to having my my house is always open. Uh, uh, door's always open, and I'll have something for you. But I, I'm going to be in uh, probably in Happy Valley here very shortly, so uh, may, I'll give you a call, and maybe we can link up awesome. if you're not busy. Oh, I'll, I will make the time. Hey, uh, tell your old man, Ura. 
I will tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah, I'll let him know. Awesome. He'll say, yeah. he'll, you know, he's always thinking I'm second class. <laughs> talk to other Marines. He loves it. That's right. You went to Air Force and broke his heart. That's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I was an aviator. My dad was an infantryman. I'm sure it broke his heart, but it's yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> all right, Ken. Well, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed this. Thanks. I hope uh, the people that watch got a little bit of something out of it. I think they probably did. Look forward to seeing you, man. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here again today in the Ready Room. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I did. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more of the same in the near future with intriguing and inspirational guests from all walks of life. If you did like it and you want to join us again, please subscribe to The Ready Room and take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, your favorite podcast app, wherever it is you're going to get your podcasts. Uh, you can also find us online at readyroombrief.com. I've been your host, Richard Frederick, and I look forward to being with you next time in The Ready Room.